What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So today is a very special episode. I'm going to be joined by my friend Chris Cotillo of MassLive.com. He's a Red Sox beat reporter for them and knows it all from the Red Sox to every sport. So I'm going to have him come on today. We're going to talk about the Red Sox, how their season's going, talk about their injuries, talk about some players that are playing well, some players that are struggling, and then maybe get into some other stuff within the world of sports as well. I'm going to get him on in just one second. I'll be back with you guys in just a minute. So here we are, back live here with Chris Cotillo, Red Sox beat writer from MassLive.com, Boston College professor as well. What an absolute legend. Thank you so much for coming on, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm good. Look, you can't say professor. I don't have my PhD. Adjunct instructor. That's well, what I, they told me. So they, uh, I made that mistake when they, when they brought me aboard, and I was very quick to learn that if you don't have your PhD, if you haven't done those extra years of school, you're going to go with adjunct instructor. So I learned my lesson. All right, we'll take, we'll take instructor then, but you were great at it regardless, whether it was, you know, being professor or instructor, but uh, I really enjoyed your class. Every Monday night was truly a pleasure. I mean, it was everything I'd ever want to do in a class, just talk sports, you know, read things about sports. That's just all I want to do. So uh, it was quite a class, and then uh, you also killed it as always. So much appreciated. Yeah, thanks. That was uh, an adventure, I think. You know, I never, I've never taught before in that setting. Um, mm-hmm. Never, you know, so to have to be – you know, in front of 24 people, obviously, I think we had some, some funny bumps in the road. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, there was guest speakers who didn't show up sometimes. And yep. then there was the time I brought everybody bowling. And I had a, like a, I thought my foot was broken. I couldn't even walk around a bowling alley. There were some fun times yeah. there. So, you know, well, I, I'm yeah, learning for uh, year two here to start in August. Yeah, you're gearing up. Gearing up for pretty uh, pretty soon now, a couple months away. So uh, that'll obviously be exciting. As I said, though, that's everything I'd ever want in a class is just being able to talk sports, read sports. Obviously, all the guests, uh, guests you had come in were great. Tony Mazzarotti. Well, you got, you got an A. That's why, you, that's why it's everything you wanted. I guess so. Yeah, it is. It is. It was an A. I'll say that. But, you know, just in general. Yeah. I mean, I learned a ton, obviously. And uh, regardless of the grade or not, you know, I, I enjoyed it uh, thoroughly. And all the guests you had come in were great. Jemai Webster and uh, Chris Smith. You had you had your whole squad come in, which was awesome. Rob Bradford. So uh, it was quite a time. So thank you uh, for all that. And, uh, much appreciated you making the time to come on today. I'm sure you're busy. So uh, we can dive into the Sox. Uh, so currently right now, I said a 31-30, and 30, 12 and a half games back at Tampa Bay in the division. The last in the division would be their third time in the last four years, obviously, which obviously they have to be better than that considering with the Red Sox. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are in the toughest division of baseball. Where do you see this team going? I know you had them at 500 in your predictions. Do you see them improving at all over 500? I know you had them at 81-81. Do you, it, right now today, would you say they still finish around 81-81? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think it's a 500 team that had a ceiling to be better if healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've seen over the course of the last few weeks um, getting healthier with Duval and, and Story, you know, coming back, Yu Chang, Arroyo, some of these guys, Schreiber, uh, mm-hmm. which are important reinforcements. But to me, that's all kind of canceled out by the fact that Chris Sale got hurt the other day. You know, if he's out even for a few starts, you know, even if it's three weeks to a month, you know, that's you're losing a guy who really looked like an ace the last few weeks. And everybody knows that the less than a three ERA and a seven start span. He looked like the Chris Sale of old, and I think, you know, it's a huge ask to um, have kind of the rest of your pitching staff try to step up. You know, we're just look at the guys that, you know, they are going to have to pitch in Sale's place. You know, Cutter Crawford's been okay. He's no Chris mm-hmm. Sale. You know, yeah. you're going to have, you know, a spot starter tomorrow night in Cleveland, whether that be Chris Murphy or Matt Dermody or an opener. Mm-hmm. He'd rather have Chris Chris Sale on the mound than any of those options. So, um you know, it's, I think, just a huge blow, even if it's for a short amount of time. They've been kind of vague about it and not really sure, you know, um, how long it's going to be. I think it kind of depends on how it reacts this week. But, yeah. you know, still, it's a team that needs to stay healthy. They're getting healthy. You know, Duval should be back Friday. Yu Chang should be back next week. Arroyo already back. As I said, Shriver and some of these relievers yeah. getting getting closer, um, you know, in terms of key pieces. But the sale thing, I think, is just such a such a tough blow. Um and you really can't afford, you know, any more injuries now. You, know, you can't afford a guy, anybody else in your rotation to go down. So, um, that's that, that to me is is uh, you know, there's there's some, uh, and there's obviously some injury risks there, right? I mean, Paxton's been incredible, but he's a guy that's often hurt. One hundred percent. Whitlock is a guy that has been hurt already twice this year. So, um, yeah, it's it's they're, they're teetering, I think, and unless they, you know, get some reinforcements, I think this is this is right about where they'll be. 100%. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly about Chris Sale. He's just starting to find his footing. You know, his last six starts, 
2-2-5 ERA, 4-0 record, 41 Ks to 5 walks in 36 innings. He was just starting to look like the Chris Sale of old, getting a fastball up to 99, you know, at one point in the middle of May. Was just about, you know, looking like the Chris Sale of old that we really need, especially this team, like you said, very thin uh, pitching-wise, especially top of the rotation. I mean, if you look at it, Sale was the only guy that's real, really the only ace on the team. I mean, you have guys that could potentially turn into aces one day. I mean, I know Brian Bayo, a lot of people are confident in, and I love Tana Houck. I think Tana Houck could be a potential two or three uh, one day, even though right now, you know, he's been struggling a little bit overall in the season. He's had some good starts, though, obviously, but Chris Sale, obviously, they needed to be that number one guy to stay healthy. And overall, I mean, on the year 5-2 record, and this is a guy that has really been struggling to stay healthy over the last, you know, three or four years now, but to see him and how well he's pitching now, it's just the, the worst timing for an injury. But like you said, other guys are going to step up, whether it's Cutter Crawford or, or even the openers tomorrow. I know that Murphy guy they just called up in the last few days, right? Right, yeah. He's a former sixth-round pick, one of their top pitching prospects, but his ERA this year was like eight. So uh, he's yeah. not pitching super well in Worcester, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't built a lot of the bullpen, but he's an option. So, you know, they're, they're kind of straining it together. This week, it's been kind of difficult. You lose sale, and then you go into – you know, that crazy weekend with a rain out, a doubleheader, a makeup game Monday, and then, yep. you know, a six-game six road trip. So they're kind of piecing it together as they go before they reset over the weekend. I think Whitlock on Friday, um, and then they get back to, you know, Hauk and, and then um, Bayo in New York. So um, that, that's that's the plan. Again, there's, there's just kind of some piecing together that needs to happen in like the next 24, 48 hours. 100%. Yeah, so like you said about Duvall, he'll be back. Uh, within the next week, obviously he was having a crazy start to the season. Four home runs in the first eight games, fifteen forty four OPS over that stretch where the wrist injury hit four fifty five. Where do you think he hits in the in the lineup? Do you think he goes back to being the cleanup hitter? Or I know obviously Devis has been struggling, and whether whether you have Devis be the three four, regardless, he's been struggling uh, in the lineup now to where he's been. Uh, where do you see Duvall stepping back into the lineup? Do you see him going back to cleanup? I think you know it's 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 more about protecting Devers, you know, because Devers has been a guy who. You know, you haven't had the big bat around um, really for a few months now. And, you know, I know Duran stepped up and, and hit well at times. And there's been guys, whether it be, you know, Turner's been okay at, for stretches or, um, you know, obviously Yoshida. Yoshida yeah. They, 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 yeah, they figured that out here and there, you know, switching back and forth between Yoshida's second and Devers fourth and, or whatever it is. Um, so I think, you know, Duvall probably goes right back in the middle of that mix somehow. You know, when they started the season, it was, you know, Duvall for the first week was hitting fifth behind Yoshida as the cleanup guy. So mm-hmm. I could see him kind of, um, you know, now that they have, you know, Devers more often in that cleanup spot, probably have, um, you know, they probably go back and forth. Uh, yeah, I mix it. Um, yeah, I mean, they've, they've, they, uh, Cora seems to like, you know, certain matchups and, um, to do it in certain ways. And, and we've seen Yoshida, you know, here in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, back and forth last week and over the last couple of nights, um, you know, last night he was hitting second again. So, um, you know, I think they'll mix and match on a daily basis. I think a big right handed bat is going to be, you know, good. Uh, we've seen, you know, at times they, they've struggled with that. You know, mm-hmm. Turner obviously has, has been a guy who's been up and down, but, um, you know, Kike has not really hit all year. We've seen over the course of the year, you know, Wong has been up and down. Whoever yeah. they've had at second, whether it be, you know, Arroyo or Pablo Reyes, they've, they've been up and down, but okay. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously some struggles out of, out of some of the other guys. Ref Snyder's taken on a pretty big role, a role bigger than you'd expect as a right-handed bat in that lineup. 100%, so yeah. that'll be good just to have him and him and uh, Duval and Story come back and, and give you, you know, the lineup that they envisioned. I mean, you have, you know, Verdugo, Devers, Turner, uh, Duran's, uh, uh, you know, story and mm-hmm. Duval in there. It's a pretty good top six if Casas can get it going and, and the catchers can get it going and stuff like that. So, um, you know, they're not too far away from that. Obviously going to get a little closer with Duval probably coming back on Friday. Definitely. Yeah. So like you said, I mean, stories, uh, story be a big add to that lineup. And like you said, I mean, the other guys coming back too, uh, it does become a good, you know, one through six in the batting order. I mean, we saw some lineups earlier in the year where, it was, I forget what day it was, it was middle of April, where the only guy in the lineup that was even decent, I think it was like Turner or something, Endeavors, it was like, you know, Pablo Reyes in the lineup, and Emmanuel Valdez, which these guys have stepped up, 
you know, I'm not saying these guys, you know, some of them have made some plays, like Connor Wong and stuff. But out of big names, though, there was a lineup. There was, there was only one guy that had, you know, any what of a name, you know, in the game of baseball. Um, so they've had some some tough lineups with injuries. Um, I'm a big Jaron Duran guy. He's, you know, he's been a guy that stepped up, obviously, and has gotten a chance to play a lot uh, with the injuries. Uh, one guy that we mentioned, Trevor Story, very lightly. Any update on him? I know you said he'll probably be back within the next month. Does that mean a month he's going to be playing in AAA and, you know, rehabbing a month he's back in the Red Sox lineup? There's a couple of possibilities. With the way his injury works, it's really all about throwing. So they could bring him back as a DH before he's, you know, ready uh, yeah. to, to play in the field again. You know, I think they want him, obviously, to be more than 100% to get back to playing shortstop. And that's what's going to happen. He's going to be the shortstop when he comes back. Um, you know, he's throwing from, you know, pretty long distance down to Fort Myers and hitting in the cage and, and getting back to full strength. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see and probably around the All-Star break, which is about, you know, five, four or five weeks away. Is this a guy who at that point is going to, you know, are they going to say, hey, go, go to AAA and, you know, make sure you're 100% with the throwing or come up and, you know, throw before games and DRDH? Uh, it could go either way. You know, we saw Harper kind of do similar stuff over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. even with a more serious injury. So uh, it kind of depends on, I think, where they are, you know, at that point. It, it could be, you know, a panic move of like, hey, we need Trevor Story in the lineup. Or, you know, faltering, let's do it. Um, if they're in a good spot, they could slow play a little bit more. So I think the possibilities are, you know, are there. I would guess that, you know, maybe around the All-Star break if he's just as the DH and maybe around August 1st if if he's the full-time shortstop. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, if he becomes the DH to start, that, that doesn't mean he can't be the shortstop later on. But um, mm-hmm. considering, you know, how, how much of a struggle shortstop has been, I, I kind of think they might take it carefully here. We've seen, obviously, Kike Hernandez struggling a lot and, you know, piecemeal together. I think they're excited you know, not a big name at all, but I think they're excited to get Yu Chang back in a few days because mm-hmm. he's a guy that gives, gives them, uh, before he got hurt, a lot of defensive stability there. Yeah, he's been good. He's been good defensively. <laughs> I thought the Sox would even look into a guy like Jose Iglesias at some point uh, and bring him back since he was very good for the Sox defensively, you know, in that 2021 run right before, you know, obviously he was his season was cut short since he wasn't, you know, uh, uh, able to play in the playoffs. Uh, so they picked him up so late in the season. But, yeah, Chang will be a big add back to the lineup, obviously defensively. And legs up with Kike at short. 13 errors on the year here at shortstop for him. Number one in baseball in errors overall. The Sox have 15 errors as a team at shortstop. 12 of them being on bad throws. Five more than any team in baseball at the shortstop position. Do you see this as a cause of concern? Obviously, with Story coming back, that obviously be a big help uh, you know, to the, to, to the defense. But overall, defensively, I mean, the Sox have struggled on the season. Obviously, you had that bad play, that Little League home run uh, you know, for Yadi Diaz against the Rays this past weekend. Do you see these errors as something that's a long-term, or a long-term concern, or do you see it as something that can be fixed? Whether it be, you know, making the right throw. I mean, that's obviously a big part of the game of baseball is, you know, throwing to the right base. I know the Red Sox missed some cutoff men over the weekend and stuff. Do you see this as a big uh, cause of concern? Yeah, it is. I mean, it just speaks to, um, you know, lack of fundamentals or the message not getting across or whatever that might be, you know. And so far, you know, it's something that's really, really bothered Alex Gore up throughout the course of the season. And, and of course, it should. You know, it's the thing that, you know, as you said, these are these are baseball basics. These are fundamentals. These are the first things you learn in spring training, even the first things you learn in little league. So, yeah. um, I think that that's been very, very frustrating for him, especially as a guy who prided himself on defense throughout his career. Um, I think there's just some guys that are you know out of place. Kike is not a shortstop. Yeah, um, they just don't really have a choice for the next couple of weeks. You know, maybe Arroyo plays some games there in the interim. Yeah, I think we saw on Monday. You know, the first time Kike had played center field in a long time. Um, yep. How good he was short, out there, yeah. and, and and um, you know, so it's it's one of those things where you know they've tried to piece it together. It's not been um, it's not been pretty, especially with the way Kike's played shortstop. You know, he has been uh, when he's played, he's been the shortstop. I'm looking. It was the last time before the other day was April 22nd. So we're going on a month plus of him. You know, really, while Yu Chang has been out, mm-hmm. um, they haven't really had a choice. So. Um, it's been tough to watch. I think, uh, you know, the throwing errors have given away a lot of outs. You know, it's it's obviously always impossible to quantify the cause and effect of these things. But let's say that, you know, a couple errors don't happen. Maybe they have three or four more wins. Definitely. You know, not one, one game above 500, but four or five. And, you know, at the end of the year, that could make a huge difference. 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's been an issue overall, whether it's, you know, shortstop or just in general. 40 errors uh, on the season of the Red Sox. Third most in the league. Uh, and obviously, like you said yesterday on the baseball hour with Tony Maserati, I mean, 
Alex Cora was a defensive guy when he played, you know, in the MLB. He was great, you know, being able to play multiple positions and always play the game the right way. And obviously this has to be something that frustrates him, I'd imagine, especially that Little League home run play. I mean, you've got to be – there was three or four bad, you know, decisions on that play, whether it was even Duran jogging to the ball in the outfield. I know Tony Maserati was mad about that yesterday, which I didn't even see the play live. I watched the replay of it. Uh, you know, right after it happened, then saw it again uh, yesterday. If he pointed out Duran jogging, Duran jogged Verdugo with the throw in, which wasn't a bad throw to the cutoff man. They throw it to the plate, and then Wong throws it to center field. And it was just a mess all around. Uh, and that's obviously has to be something that frustrates a guy like Alex Cora, a guy that you pointed out was a very sound, you know, fundamental baseball player when he was in the MLB. Yeah, it is. It's you know, he was seemed kind of dejected the other day, just like uh, I don't know what we have to do. And you know, we told these guys what to do, and it just. The message isn't getting across, and we have to be better. You know, no more excuses. We have to execute. We have to be better. And um, I'm just kind of challenging his guys, like, hey, you gotta, you gotta figure this out. Or the season's getting to a point where, you know, it's not April, it's not May anymore. We're getting into the meat of it, and, and you guys have to figure this out, or you know, throw away games and throw away a chance to be in the postseason. One hundred percent. So in the past week. The Sox did DFA Rymel Tapia just a few days ago now. I believe it was on Monday morning. Uh, so that means now they're committing to Jaron Duran, obviously, for this season. I, I think, obviously, for the future as well. I mean, he's a guy that's only 26 years old. Early as he can be a free agent, 2029. So I think it makes sense, obviously, you rolling with him rather than keeping a guy like Tapia sending Duran down. Duran has been struggling, though. I know uh, you pointed out yesterday he was 3 of 31, I believe, on that away stretch. Uh, in his last mm-hmm. 15 games, he's only hitting 132, 189 slugging, 367 OPS, 23 strikeouts or three walks uh, over those 15 games. And one thing, which obviously the batting average is concerning and the slugging, the OPS is concerning, no stolen base attempts in his last 15 games. And this is a guy that should be using his speed, obviously, to his advantage, a guy that came in right away and was you know, at top of the AL in doubles, even though he only played about eight games and everyone else played about 15 by the point, you know, that he made it, you know, made it into the lineup. Do you see it as concerning that he's been struggling, obviously, over the last 15 games? Or do you think he has a chance of turning it around? I still have confidence in him. I, I told you, you know, during spring training, I thought I, I would roll with him over Tapia. But uh, at the end of the day, do you think he's a guy that can turn it around? I know last year he was really hot for a stretch and then cooled off like this over, you know, 20 to 30 game stretch and, you know, brought his batting average way down to, you know, about 240. Uh, where do you see Duran? improving do you see him improving uh how do you feel about him yeah i mean as always core said the other day if you if you looked at the beginning of the season he's hitting 280 with a 777 ops you yep. know uh 16 doubles 22 rbis yep. um you know uh seven seven stolen bases which is as many as he had a year ago and and you know seven for seven stolen bases like you'd take that um mm-hmm. obviously those numbers were super inflated a few weeks ago, and they've come way back down to earth with the struggles. I think, you know, we've seen, and, and I've written especially about, you know, Duran and the mental side of the game and making sure that everything, you know, is is okay in that end. I think the Red Sox need to make sure that's the case. Um, this is a guy that, you know, has been at a very up and down you know, major league career, very streaky, kind of, you know, almost reminiscent of Jackie Bradley Jr. almost. Mm-hmm. Um, except with Jackie, you could you know you could deal with it a little bit more because the defense was so good. You know Durant's gotten better in that regard, but yeah. not as elite as Jackie Bradley. So you know the Red Sox. I think it's it's interesting to see they, they're putting him in the lineup on a daily basis. They're you know committing to him. Obviously, the at bats are going to be <clears throat> a little lesser when Duval comes back, just because you're adding another outfielder to, to the mix. And um, you know it was, it was already a crowded mix. It's going to get even more crowded. I do think I was surprised by the Tapia move. I think it's also you know, in another way, a vote of confidence involved as in Pablo Reyes and some of yep. these guys they have, um, at least in the short term. I know another roster move is going to come on Friday. So, um, you know, good for Duran for kind of asserting himself. He, he earned the right to be on the major league roster, even with these struggles. I think they don't want to, you know, go through the whole sending him down thing. And, you know, Tapia, just one of those, you know, <clears throat> Tapia played well, too. So, um, yeah. You know, it wasn't like he was lopped off the roster for, for bad performance. It was just, you know, kind of the case of they needed to <clears throat> make a decision on who they wanted to prioritize, and they did that with Durant. Definitely, and especially with those guys coming back. Like you said, Duvall coming back, and even Arroyo was a guy that could play the infield and the outfield. Him, you know, coming back, he has had some utility to that lineup. He's another guy that could play an outfield position, uh, even if he's not, you know, the best right fielder. He can still step out there if he needed to. Um, but like you said, I mean, that's, that, that's how it is at the end of the day. I mean, Tapia is... That was essentially a journeyman. He goes from, you know, Colorado to Toronto. Now the Red Sox probably find himself a new home rather soon, I'd imagine, especially considering he was still hitting pretty decent for the Sox, 264, a home run, 10 RBIs in 39 games, 701 OPS. Uh, You know, it was pretty good defensively as well. Uh, But a guy like Duran, 
who's gotten better defensively. Like you said, he's not really an elite defender, but he's got better. No errors on the year. Definitely improved at the plate as well, even despite the recent struggles. Uh, he's a guy I do have a lot of confidence in and hopefully uses his speed. I mean, he is first on the team in stolen bases, and that's something that he adds you know, to the lineup that's so dynamic. I mean, the Red Sox don't really have many base stealers. I mean, it's kind of lost out in the game of baseball overall nowadays, uh, you know, is, you know, stealing bases. Um, but hopefully find him a way to get him back on base, and I'm sure, you know, the, the stolen base attempts will go up. Considering he only hit 132 over the past 15 games, there's not really many opportunities for him to get on base. So we'll see, obviously, what happens there. But uh, you know I'm a big Duran guy, so hopefully, uh, you know, he turns things around there. Um, but one guy has been struggling, obviously, Rafael Devers, we talked about uh, very briefly in the beginning. Hitting only 241 on the season, 478 slugging, 774 OPS. Does have 13 home runs, but hasn't hit a home run since May 19th. Over his last 14 games, hitting just 167 with just five RBIs at 222 uh, OPS. What is going on with Devis at the dish? I know obviously he's been struggling, and if you look at the numbers, they're obviously concerning. But even when you watch the games, you see him swinging at pitches he shouldn't be swinging at. You see him, I mean, over, a couple of pitches over his head over the weekend, I saw him swing at. What is going on with Devis at the dish? Do you think it's just him getting in his head? Do you think it's him trying to do too much? What, what do you see with Devis right now? Yeah, it's just, you know, obviously, I think one of the worst stretches we've seen out of him in a little while. Um, and that, that happens, I think. You know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, they're, they can't pitch around him. There's not the protection there used to be, as, as we talked about yesterday yeah. on the radio. And, um, you know, I think there's, you know, when you don't have J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts and all that type of stuff, you know, uh, no offense to Duran and Ref Snyder and some of these guys are not as imposing as these guys they've had around him for his entire career. So, um, I think that's played into it. I think maybe pressing after getting the big contract has played into it. Um, you know, you, you never, you know, can really project and get pretend to be inside a guy's head. But, um, you know, that's that's one guy that, you know, obviously the Red Sox need to step up more. Um, as I said, too, yesterday, like his floor, Devers, uh, I, I think if you, you know, look at what his season has been, I know he hasn't homered here in a while, so the power totals are a little, are a little lower. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's it's hitting... You know, his floor is a 774 OPS. You know, yeah. obviously 100 points less than it was last year when he was an all-star and, and got MVP votes. But this is like as bad as he could possibly be, 241, 13 homers, 49 RBI, which is still a lot, and 774 yeah. OPS. You know, you got to figure in a 109 or a you know, 106 OPS plus, which is above league average, you're like, you got to think he's going to break out and get really hot at some point. Um, and I still think that's going to happen and probably – you know, we'll make it easier when Duvall is back and eventually Story's back and, you know, around Yoshida and Devers, those guys can, can really mash. So um, I'm not worried about it. Obviously, it's been a little bit of a struggle here so far. Um, you know, and if you had told me at the beginning of the year Devers would be hitting 241, I would say, well, the Red Sox are probably 10 games under 500 then. And that yeah. has not been the case. So it hasn't sunk them like some of these other things, the bad defense and the rotation and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, I think I think he's going to get hot at some point. You'd hope so, especially, you know, considering he's you know, the big bat in the Sox line. We've got a big contract extension. And sometimes, I'm not saying this is for Devers, but sometimes guys do get that big extension and, you know, take a seat back and, and relax. I'm not saying that's for Devers, but, you know, it does happen in sports where guys get big contracts and, you know, they cash mm-hmm. in and then just relax. Uh, but I did mess up one stat. I said 222 OPS over that 14-game stretch, 222 slugging. Uh, with a 480 OPS uh, over that stretch. But he does obviously have to be better. And like you said, it's not just Devers. I and mean, there's a lot of things with the Sox right now, considering pitching's been a struggle. Obviously, the starting rotation, Tannehill, Garrett Whitlock, Brian Bayo with the young guys. Uh, Bayo's probably the best of the three right now. You know, he's shown probably the best, you know, stuff so far. 397 ERA, nine starts. I know you do like Garrett Whitlock. You see him uh, as a big piece of the future, as do most Sox fans, as do I. Uh, where do you see the Sox rotation going? I know, obviously, with Chris Seals' injury, that's tough. Nick Pavetta's made the transition to the bullpen. Corey Kluber's been, you know, brutal. I mean, he's only made, you know, nine starts. He's only made, uh, you know, 11 appearances overall in the year, two of them coming from the pen. Uh, do you think Kluber gets cut soon? I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, with the Sox rotation. I don't think they can just cut ties with all these guys considering Pavetta. You need him at least, you know, in the bullpen considering he can still start a game if you need him to. Uh, but where do you see the Sox uh, rotation going? I mean, they prioritized depth heading into the season. Um, and they had what they thought would be, you know, seven guys for five spots heading in. Yep. Um, and then, you know, you add Cutter Crawford to that mix. He ended up making the opening day rotation because three different guys were hurt at the top. Yep. Um, and, you know, like he's actually pitched had a pretty good year, and, and I think he's probably going to be the guy that they, as they are tonight, you know, shoehorn into the rotation here. Um, 
I think there, you know, there's upside. We've seen Whitlock be up and down. I think he's still feeling himself out as a, as a major league starter. Um, a guy that, you know, has not really done it much over the course of his career. Yeah. Um, there has not done it in the majors, you know, I should say, over the course of his career. So, um, you know, that's something that is going to be, you know, a, a thing for the next few days uh, or for the next few outings to see how Whitlock responds. I think Bayo has been pretty good throughout the year. There's been some uneven starts, but generally the stuff has been really good. I think Paxton has been excellent. Yep. We saw that again last night. Great last so night. Paxton and Bayo kind of leading the charge. And then, you know, Whitlock, I think, has the ceiling. Hauk has the ceiling. And you're going to have Cutter Crawford in the mix, too. And, and, and you know, the thing is, you know, maybe Pavetta gets some wind under his sails in the bullpen pitching well and finds something, and they decide, you know, we'll give him another chance in the rotation, and he goes on a hot streak. You know, maybe that happens with Kluber. I do think that this is an area that as we get, you know, it's June 7th, so we can't get too far ahead of ourselves. But, yeah. you know, we're, we're as we get the calendar turns from June to July, it's always time to start looking at, you know, uh, what could they possibly do at the trade deadline. And I think at this point, that is, um, you know, probably a, an area where I wouldn't be surprised if they, um, you know, made an upgrade or tried to... Um, Tried to add somebody, especially if, if Sale is out for a while. I mean, there's going to be a lot of good starting pitchers available. You know, you look at some guys even from the, the central, Giolito, and you know, maybe Dylan Cease, guys like yep. that. Do you yep. make a big, big trade and try to do that? Um, you know, I think that they could use a guy who is a controllable starting pitcher, a guy you could have for a little while. Um, Definitely. You know, I think that that's, you know, it's not, they have obviously Whitlock, Bayo, and Hauk as guys that they expect to have for a while, but, you know, Paxton is not under control for a while. You can't trust Sale. You know, Pavetta is a free agent after next year. Kluber, you don't want, but he's a free agent after this year. Um, yeah. So, you know, there, there's there's some guys that they, they might like to go and add kind of a bona fide number one or a number two um, for, you know, a couple seasons. And that would take a big prospect call. We haven't seen Bloom be willing to do that since he took over uh, yeah. a few years ago. So, um, you know, that's that's uh, that's something that I think they should do. Will they do it? Remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, the Sox have, you know, built their farm system. I know that's something that Bloom you know, came in with a, with a vision and a goal to build a farm system. Obviously, the bad 2020 season got them. A guy like Marcelo Meyer was going to be, you know, hopefully – uh, you know, perennial all-star one day for the Sox, considering we really don't have much to look forward to, uh, you know, with the with the future coming in. Uh, we do have a decent, you know, farm system. It's not as good, you know, as it once was, you know, before Dombrowski really blew it up. I mean, we were one of the best in baseball. Uh, now, we, now we started building again, obviously, and I know you probably know way more guys, uh, you know, that are, that are in the farm system more than me. Uh, but Meyer's obviously that big guy and, and the big name and something that all Sox fans can at least latch on to and look forward to. But you can't, you know, just expect them to come in and, you know, and be hitting 350 and, you know, and, and, and raking and playing great defensively. So we'll see, obviously, what happens there. Do you see any chance that he's in the Red Sox lineup even a year from now, maybe in a September call-up next season? Or do you think he's going to be a couple years down the road? Yeah, I mean, he's already, uh, you know, at double-A at 20. So I think that that's a sign that, you know, maybe next year, uh, he's going to, you know, accelerate. He's going to push to accelerate. I think for for Heim Bloom, the goal is always, you know, to um, take these guys as slowly as possible, slow play at whatever it may be. So, um, you know, they're always careful. I think that that's kind of how they've they've always done it. Even with Costas, he, you know, took a long time last year to come up. Um, Definitely. And you know, maybe that was for for the better, considering how he struggled this year at the plate, average wise and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I think they're going to slow play him. He, he's obviously the rest of the guy that. Um, he's obviously the guy that um, the prize possession, know, I yeah. think. Yeah, definitely. Um, so he, he's he's the main one, as I said yesterday. I think Bayo is one of the other guys, and um, that could um, well obviously be a kind of a blue chipper for them. Beyond that, you know, not not a lot of obvious options in that way. Definitely, hundred percent. I mean, those are the those are the top end guys there, Bayo. Uh, you know, made his start last year. His first, you know, MLB debut. Obviously, getting that start was obviously great to see. He did struggle a little bit, but he's shown better stuff towards the end of last season. And then, obviously, this season uh, is pitching pretty well. But I'm sure they won't, you know, rush a guy like Marcelo Meyer, considering that's you know the biggest piece we have to look forward to for the future. Um, and, right. and I'm going to go back really quick just to the uh, you know rotation just for one second. You were talking about Nick Pavetta making the transition to the bullpen, and his last four appearances out of the pen: one five nine ERA, eight Ks, three walks. Five and two thirds innings. He's pitched pretty well out of the pen. A guy, Corey Kluber, hasn't really been pitching well, whether it's in the starting rotation or out of the pen. Do you see the Sox cutting cords with Corey Kluber at any point, just DFAing him? I mean, Kluber was on the mound for that Little League homer the other day, so his numbers are a little inflated based True. on that. I didn't know? think about so, that. You're right. Um, so, that, like, that last outing, 
you know, two earned runs, it's not really uh, not really fair. The, the day before that, he threw six pitches in a one-two-three inning, and that right. was, you know, his first time pitching in, in over two weeks. So, I mean, look, it's always good to have as much depth as possible. We've seen that already, you know, tested now. The Red Sox are down to, you know, down to move to another guy here. And, you know, is Kluber going to be a lights-out reliever? Probably not. But, you know, keeping him on the team, giving him the chance to work some things out over the next couple of weeks, I think is probably going to be valuable for them, too. So, um he, he's a guy that I don't think was a good signing, obviously. Um, it's a guy that, uh, was, you know, obviously really a, <laughs> a disaster um, over the course of, um, over the first few starts he made. But, um, they have to, you know, they have to kind of see this through a little bit longer. And if they have to DFA him, if they add, you know, upgrade to the trade deadline, that'll, that'll end up being the case. Definitely. So I'm excited to see, you know, what they do at the deadline. Obviously, a guy kind of bloom last year had the chance to rip it up at the deadline and say, send JD Martinez one way. Obviously, traded Christian and Vasquez. Uh, Ted is opportunity to trade JD Martinez. Bogots was even in trade talks. I didn't really see them trading Bogots, but I thought JD was definitely going to be gone. And now you see a guy like JD go to the Dodgers. Now he's had somewhat of a resurgence 15 home runs, tied to ninth in the MLB. He only had 16 home runs last year for the Sox, and I believe it was 139 games. Has 15 home runs already for the Dodgers. Uh, which is just ridiculous considering last year, I mean, we thought his power numbers were going down, going the opposite way. Everyone thought he was on regression, including myself. And now you see him, 15 home runs, hitting 277, sixth best OPS in baseball at 947, second best slugging in the MLB at 633, three home runs in the last four games. So obviously you look at High and Bloom's decisions. I know you talked about this yesterday with uh, with Maz, obviously, and the Mookie Betts trade and some other things that went into, you know, the way we look at High and Bloom and his resume, whether it's letting Kyle Schwarber just walk, letting Zander Bogots walk, trading Mookie Betts, trading Benintendi. There's a lot of things that go into, you know, how we grade High and Bloom. Who do you think is more on the hot seat? High and Bloom or Alex Cora? Obviously, Alex Cora is working with the team that High and Bloom is giving him. Uh, so obviously not all of it is on Cora. But who's more on the hot seat, do you think, by the end of this season? Well, I think High and Bloom, just because, you know, it's, it's now been, you know, Cora has won. Um, in his tenure, we saw that in 2018. Obviously, Heim Bloom you know, does not have that World Series ring under his belt, which I think is a big difference. I think, you know, uh, I and a, a caller, you know, who didn't know my name on 985. I listened to that thought, guy. Yeah, yeah, I heard it. Yeah, thought, thought this was a ridiculous. Whatever take, your but, name um, is, he said. Yeah, I heard right, that. Yeah, thought this was a ridiculous take, but you know, um, I think it's just a tough ask to ask Heim Bloom to come in here and give him. You know, four seasons, one of them a pandemic season where everything's all screwed up. Definitely. 2020, 2021, 22, and 23, and say, you know, completely revamp the farm and completely, you know, do your long-term view. I think four years is, you know, I would have given him, I would give him five. So, you know, coming in and telling him that, that you need to have the long-term view in mind and then pulling the plug, I think is somewhat of a big ask. Definitely. Um, but, you know, this is, this is Boston. People get impatient. Ownership, these guys are, and they're not young guys, and I think that they, you know, could get a little impatient. We're seeing that in Foxborough now. Bob Kraft is saying, "All right, it's been, you know, two years, Definitely. three years. We haven't won a playoff game, or four years. We haven't won a playoff no game. Brady let's too, uh, yeah. let's, uh, let's let's start turning this around." And uh, I think that you know, John Henry's in his seventies, Tom Warner is in his seventies. Wouldn't be surprised if they started kind of thinking the same way. Definitely, one hundred percent. I mean, the time you know is ticking for Cora, for Bloom, but I think I would agree more on Bloom. And same thing with the Patriots. I mean, they have a lot of decisions to make. Uh, in their upcoming future, if this season doesn't work out, Bill Belichick, uh, I don't think they can fire a guy like Belichick, but, you know, maybe mutually, you know, go their separate ways. But that might be a hot take. Uh, but regardless, things have to happen. You need results. It's a results business in baseball and in, in the NFL and sports in general. Uh, so obviously there's a lot of the things to figure out there for the Sox and the Patriots. I think if you look at the Bloom era with the Red Sox, his first decision, his first, you know, goal coming in, the first task the Sox gave him was to get under the luxury tax. And obviously... Part of that was trading Mookie Betts, getting rid of David Price. He pointed out yesterday was a big, you know, part of that trade, getting rid of Mookie. But mm-hmm. I don't really blame Bloom for trading Mookie. I think it was more of an ownership decision. I would have kept Mookie, obviously, considering how much talent he had. I know the goal was to get under the luxury tax, but I think it was a John Henry decision. I think they said to, to Bloom coming in, find a way to trade Mookie. He's not going to take, you know, the 10 years, 300 million. I think the Sox offered him. Find a way to move him, get as much back as we can in return, and obviously get us under the luxury tax. I don't think you can say as, you know, first-year chief baseball officer for a team, the best decision we can make is trading Mookie Betts. I mean, considering how talented he is, it's just like when the Giants traded Dave, uh, you know, Dave Getham and the Giants GM traded Odell. At the time, I said to my dad, I don't think 
you can say, oh, we're going to make this team better by trading Odell. I think it was an ownership decision in the in the Odell trade. I think the same thing here with the Red Sox trading Mookie. How do you feel about that? I mean, that's a take that I don't know if many people have. That's just you know take that I have. But do you think John Henry was involved in that deal? Yeah, of course. You know, he, I think he mandated that they get under the um, the luxury tax, and when that happens, you know, that's um, you know obviously I think it's a uh, that, that was the easiest way to do it. So. I don't think he said you have to trade Boogie. They just once they couldn't come to a contract extension with him. I think the writing was on the wall. And you know, I've always been one to say that I don't think there was a path forward with the two sides here. So you might as well get something. They would have gotten a draft pick for him if they let him walk in a year. Um, but then at that point, you know, the pressure's on to really you know get a good deal for him. They weren't you know they weren't Definitely. able to get superstars. Uh, they were able to get you know probably a couple of good players and um, obviously Wong and, and Verdugo, who we've seen you know be pretty good this year. Um, but they were not able to get you know the superstars. I said. You know, Ahmed Rosario and um, and uh, uh, Jimenez. Andres Jimenez, Jimenez, right? Are the, as, are the, as the returns for Lindor in that big trade, it's not really comparable, um, obviously. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think the Sox obviously envisioned Gita Downs being, you know, a big time prospect. Considering he was a top, you know, in the Dodgers, uh, you know, farm system at the time, they probably saw him as a bigger part of the deal. It was probably Verdugo, then Downs, I imagine, then Wong was probably just an add in. And at the end of the day, mm-hmm. obviously, Wong's earned himself a right to be on the on the roster now and definitely was a big bigger ad in that you know deal than Gita Downs was I was fairly confident Gita Downs I thought he was going to be a, you know a, a good player for the Sox in the future considering the Dodgers farm system there's not really many misses if you look at this team now you know a lot of rookies in that in that lineup Miguel Vargas James Oatman uh you know uh, they had a guy Michael Bush as well they have a guy Andy Pajas in in, in their farm system in AAA I think he just got hurt but they have a lot of random guys in their farm system, always end up being really good. So I thought Gita Downs, considering he was a top prospect in their farm system, I thought he was going to be great, considering you know yeah. they always find ways to hit on prospects. They always do. I mean, if you look at their team over the last 10 years, Cody Ballinger came up through that farm system. He was an MVP at one point. Looking at that farm system, I thought he was going to come over and be a big you know part of that deal. Obviously, Verdugo is probably the main centerpiece of it. You know, He was a top prospect for them at, at one point as well. Uh, but if you look at it now, it's really just... Verdugo, and then obviously Wong, and you probably should have got more. I would agree with your take yesterday. You definitely should have got more from Mookie Betts, considering he was a big part of their 2020 World Series run, and obviously now signed that 12-year deal with the Dodgers right after the trade. So they have him for you know the rest of his career as well. So it wasn't just trading Mookie for one season, which it was, I guess, for the Red Sox, considering they weren't going to keep him for more than just a season. But you do trade him to a team where he's going to be for the rest of his career. So it's tough only getting just those two pieces in return. But if you look at it, like you said, I think the writing – you know, was on the wall. I, I think he wanted to be in the center of, of L.A., being being the spotlight, and obviously gets his payday as well. I mean, I think it was just the best of both worlds there for Mookie, whether it was money-wise or being in L.A. I think things just worked out for him there. And obviously for the Sox, Verdugo, I really like Verdugo. I think, think he brings a lot of swag and energy to the lineup. Obviously having a good season as well, 288 batting average, five home runs, 454 slugging, 816 OPS. I'm a big Verdugo guy, as you know, but at the end of the day, I think you should have got more in return uh, for a guy like Mookie, considering how good of a player he is, and at the time, was the second best player in baseball to Mike Trout when he was traded. Yeah, I was, and, and look, it's a, it's a trade that we're going to revisit time and time again over the years. I think Verdugo making an all-star team this year, which is possible, you know, makes it a little bit easier uh, to look back and, and a little bit better for the Red Sox, but still, as I said, these are not you know superstars or bona fide all-stars they're getting. These are, these are good parts, and I think that's difficult um, to look back and, and think about. 100%. And if you look at a lot of other decisions, whether it was the Mookie trade, obviously Mookie's now starting to heat up, playing better baseball, hitting 357 over the last seven games, five, uh, four home runs, five RBIs, 1240 OPS, 15 home runs on the air for Mookie, 15 for JD, both tied for ninth in baseball. Then you have Kyle Schrober, who's struggling at the plate, you know, batting average-wise, hitting just 173 on the year, but starting to heat up a little bit, three home runs in the last six games, uh, 16 home runs as well, tied the sixth most in baseball. And then you also have Nate Avaldi fifth best ERA in baseball. These are all guys, the Sox either, which Mookie's, you know, further down the line now. It's, you know, been three years. But for J.D., Evaldi, Schwarber over the past year or two now, especially even if you add in a guy like Michael Walker, that's three guys the Sox moved on from within a year between J.D., Evaldi, and Walker that are obviously excelling where they're at now. And a guy like Evaldi, the Sox definitely could use in that top of that rotation right now, considering he's one of the most dominant pitchers in the MLB right now with, you know, a 2-2-4 ERA, fifth best in baseball, 8-2 and record. What went into the Sox letting Evaldi go? Was it money? Was it injury concerns? In your opinion, what, what would you say was the biggest issue there with the Sox letting him go or the biggest decision you know, uh, in, in letting him go, the biggest uh, idea? Why did they let him go in, in your eyes? Well, I mean, I think that they are you know, a team that 
really wanted um, to re-sign Evaldi. They liked him. They thought that the medicals were clear. They thought that he was the guy that, you know, was going to be, um, you know, uh, better than the, the, the numbers indicated last year just because the, the under-the-hood numbers were pretty good. With Walk, it was actually the other way. You know, the, the ERA and stuff were better, but the under-the-hood numbers, that's kind of what, why his market ended up cratering. Um, with, with Evaldi, you know, the Red Sox thought that he was worth you know, giving a three-year deal. They offered that to him in early December. Um, he was not, uh, he did not accept because he thought he could get more money elsewhere. He yeah. ended up not. Um, and by the time he had circled back to the Red Sox, the Red Sox had already committed $16 million a year uh, to um, Jansen over two years and, yep. and $18 million a year to Yoshida. And they, they didn't have um, the money in, in the eyes of, of the decision makers to hand that out to him. So, um, you know, I think that that was a, um, a difficult, difficult thing because they wanted him. Uh, uh, but but he wouldn't you know accept on their timeline and when he ended up signing with Texas two for thirty four like the Red Sox looked at it and thought wow we we really you know I can't believe he didn't take our deal which was better than this and, and definitely. you know we, we we definitely would have done that deal at that point you know the ship had kind of sailed for them and I think they think he overplayed his hand so um, they had to pivot to Kluber which was horrible with Waka more unclear um, you know he he told me you have to ask Heim Bloom why I'm not back with the Red Sox which was I heard that I think a little bit a little bit damning. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it, again, with him, as everybody always said throughout the offseason, you know, if you look at the numbers under the hood and the batting average balls in play and some of the stat cast numbers and stuff, it just was not, you know, it, it suggested that he was not, you know, worth a big commitment. And, um, you know, so far in San Diego, he's proven people wrong with that. Definitely. 3-4-8 ERA, 5-2 record, 57 Ks and 62 innings pitched, 1-1-4 whip in 11 starts for San Diego. And if you look at his numbers last year for the Sox, 11-2 record, 3-2 ERA, and 23 starts, 104 Ks and 127 in the third innings. Was obviously the bright spot in that Red Sox rotation last year. I know Avaldi did miss some games with, uh, with some injuries as well. Uh, but those are two guys that move on from the Sox and definitely could be the 1-2-3 with Sale. If Sale would have been healthy this year, that could have been a great 1-2-3 you know, rotation there. But we didn't really see that much last year of all three of those guys in the same lineup, you know, in the same rotation with Sale getting hurt after just, I believe it was two starts last year. So... Uh, obviously, it could have been a what if if you bring back both those guys. Like Valdi, they probably wanted to bring back more. And considering Walker only got one year, seven and a half million, I, it must have been a high on Bloom thing. Because I, I think the Sox definitely could have thrown out eight million at him. Valdi, obviously, they offered him a bigger deal. He said no to it. And then at the end of the day, the Sox committed you know enough money elsewhere where they said you know it's just time to let him go. But for Walker, one year, seven and a half million. The Sox definitely could have afforded that. So it must have been a high on Bloom decision saying we don't think he's going to do what he did last year again. And I mean, his ERA is essentially the same, 3-3-2 last year, 3-4-8 this year. So uh, that's obviously a big decision that let him go. But like some other things, some other players the Sox let go, Kyle Schwarber, I mean, sometimes it comes down to money. Sometimes, sometimes you don't see them being sustainable for the future. I mean, maybe J.D. Martinez they didn't see being sustainable uh, considering last year he wasn't really that great. They probably didn't expect him to have 15 home runs, you know, at this point in the season. It's June 7th, and he's at 277 with a 947 OPS. I don't know if you can really forecast that, uh, especially considering J.D. was not really hitting well last year. I know there was a time last season where Bogarts, J.D. and Devers were each hitting around like 200, you know, over a 10 to 15 game stretch. I don't think the Sox really forecasted J.D. being this good. And maybe the same thing with Waka. I mean, Evaldi was good when he was on the mound. He was basically the ace when Chris Sale was, was out for a while, uh, you know, that three or four year stretch where <clears throat> Chris Sale only made, you know, 10 starts over, or over three years just about. So... There's a lot of decisions that go into it, and, and I'm sure part of it's money for some of them. But like you said, for Walker, it probably was just a high and bloom decision. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different um, things that go into this. I think with JD, I think they, the writing was on the wall. That was that was done you know, after the year he had last year, and you know he got back with his swing coach in LA, guy who works for the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, and and I think that probably helped out. They they were really happy with what Justin Turner's given them too. I know. The stats aren't as sexy as with JD's given the Dodgers, but um, definitely, I think both teams are pretty happy with that turn with that how that turned out so far. Definitely, and JD and JD's obviously you know hitting well this year. And if you look at JT's having a decent year for the Sox, and like you pointed out yesterday, is more of a more of a leader on this Red Sox team. That's probably part of the reason they signed him, considering he's a vet, has been through it all. Obviously, with the LA Dodgers, and he's been around the league, he's been in some big games. Obviously, has a lot of experience as well, so that definitely goes into you know signing him and seeing that he can be a leader for this squad, especially a team that lost Xander Bogats, who was not their captain but essentially their captain. 
Right. I mean, Xander's the Xander loss. I think is real, just in a leadership way. But you know, they. I've always said you can't go to two hundred eighty million for that guy. I don't really blame you know the uh, them for that. Uh, they they screwed this up for uh, for a while last year, though. Definitely, one hundred percent. Yeah, and Bogats hasn't been hitting. Too well with San Diego. Had, had a hot stretch at one point, you know, at the beginning of the season, but uh, his batting average has come back down. I think he's around like 250 or 260. Uh, so he's not hitting as well as he did earlier in the season. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about in baseball, and this is just baseball in general. It's not really even just the Red Sox here, which it can't connect to the Red Sox. Yes, if, you know, if, if you think the Sox have a chance at him. Shohei Otani, I'm sure every single team in baseball at least is somewhat interested in him. There's only probably a few real suitors, whether it's the Dodgers, whether it's the Yankees, Mets, Padres. Where do you see Shohei Otani ending up, whether it's if he were to be traded at the deadline this year, which I think is unlikely. I think the Angels will still hold on to him, even though they're right around 500 right now. Where do you think he ends up, whether it's in free agency or the trade deadline? We had Bad Dog Russo on my pod a couple weeks ago, and he says that he thinks that he's going to end up with the Dodgers. Obviously, that, you can yep. never dis- discount that um, possibility just because you know the Dodgers have a lot of money. They know how to. He wants to stay on the West Coast, theoretically, all that type of stuff. So, I think that's definitely an option. Um, I think the Mets and the Yankees are going to bid big, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Red Sox get involved, if if not just to kind of drum up some interest, you know. Um, 100%. I think there's, there, there's a possibility there. So, you know, the Dodgers or the Angels for now make a lot more make a lot of sense to me. Um, I just think that, you know, it's, it's probably um, probably one of those two teams, but I, I would doubt that he gets traded at the deadline. I think he's, he's going to hit free agency, and the Angels are at least going to get the ticket sales and the interest in the team. Um, in him throughout the rest of the year. They don't want to let that go two months early when they don't have to. Definitely, especially considering they have the first and second best players in the game of baseball, at least in my lifetime, over the last 10 years or so. You have two of the most dynamic players, and Mike Trout's been the best player in baseball since he stepped foot in the league. And then look at a guy like Otani. There's no one like him in, in any sport, you know, how dynamic he is pitching and hitting. I don't think they'll trade him. I think they'll keep keep him, you know, up until the deadline and, uh, you know, past the deadline. But I don't know if they really have a big shot at getting him back. I think... The Dodgers make a lot of sense, like you said, like Mad Dog Russo said as well. If you look at the Dodgers, my main argument with the Dodgers signing him isn't just because they're not afraid of making a big move, whether it's trading for you know Max Scherzer and Trey Turner a few years ago or trading for Mookie Betts or giving Freddie Freeman a big contract, giving Trevor Bauer a big contract, even though that didn't really work out. They're not afraid of making a big move. That's one thing with the Dodgers. That's why I don't think they'd be afraid of giving them 50, 60 million a year, whatever it may be. But if you look at it, mm-hmm. this past offseason, they didn't really do much. They let Bellinger walk. They obviously let Justin Turner walk. They let Trey Turner walk. They let a lot of guys walk, saved a lot of money for, you know, for the future. And that's a team that you know, can spend money with just about anybody in base, whether it's the Red Sox or Yankees, historically. But there's obviously a lot of things that, that are going to go into the Sox, uh, you know, and whether it's the Dodgers, the Mets, whatever teams you know, it may be, you know, trying to make a move for Shohei. But I think that the Angels will keep him. But I think the Dodgers make a lot of sense, especially considering he wants to be on the West Coast and be close to Japan. You would agree with that, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be money that tells the whole story. Okay, so you think it's more money? I was thinking more location. I was, I was thinking he wanted to be more, you know, closer to, to Japan since it's closer to get there from California or whatever, whatever it may be, whether whether it's you know Seattle even on the West Coast than it would be from New York, you know, Boston. Uh, but it could be it could be money that goes into. I'm sure that will be a big part of it. And what would you forecast this deal being at? Fifty, sixty million, easy. Uh, I don't know. It's that's. I mean, it's impossible to tell how teams are going to value them. Um, at least forty, at least forty-five, probably. I mean, okay, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be ridiculous, whatever it is. I've I've seen predictions at sixty million. I've seen predictions at fifty million, uh, and I've seen some you know around forty-five, forty-eight a year. I think right now, I think the Dodgers make a lot of sense giving them an eight-year deal, which it sounds crazy, eight years, four hundred million, but uh, that definitely could be a case. Uh, but I, I, how, what chance would you give the Sox? What chance would you give the Sox? Um, I mean, fifteen percent. Okay, I'll take that. Actually, that's not bad. That's not bad, considering, you know, uh, you get a guy like Otani, even if it's 16% chance, 15% chance, 30% chance, I'll take that all day. That's awesome, though. Uh, that's great to hear as a Sox fan. So uh, that's obviously big. Uh, but obviously, like you said, the, the Angels, the Dodgers, I'm sure they'll be, you know, bidding high. And the Mets, I mean, that's, that's a team that's not afraid, you know, of, of spending big money. So I'm sure they'll be giving around $50 million as well. So there's a lot that's going to happen in baseball in the next year with, with Otani, especially. I'm sure there'll be trade talks. Even if they don't trade him, you, there will be rumors, I'm sure. You'd agree? Yeah, I think teams are going to try. I mean, of course you have to try. But, um, you know, the Angels, they're always kind of in the same boat where, you know, they have all the talent. They can never really put it together. I mean, you look at them at this point. We saw them play really well against the Red Sox. They're, they're a game ahead of where the Red Sox are. Um, 
right now, so they're squarely on that wild card mix. They're probably going to make one more. Probably going to want to make one more run with Otani and Trout. They're not going to want to blow it up. Um, Definitely, even though that might be the smart move. So I don't. I, I would doubt that they're they're going to trade them. But you know, we go on a six game losing streak here. Maybe things change. Definitely, yeah. I mean, that that's how baseball is, right? You can't really look at just the past. You got to see where you're playing right now, currently, and that's why they obviously fired Joe Madden last year. They looked at that 14 game stretch. It wasn't, you know. Uh, Joe Maddon's a great manager you know, over his career, or we were playing great baseball in the first month and a half of the season. Let's see if we can get back. They saw that 14-game losing streak, and things changed. So things could change here as well. But I think if you can keep Otani and Trout together, even if it's for another half a season, especially with that lineup, I think they have a lot of talent, the Angels. I had some high hopes for them coming into the season. Obviously, Rendon, Hunter Renfro, Brandon Drury, Mickey Moniak's even playing good baseball right now, hitting well. Taylor Ward, Jared Walsh was a guy that you know killed the Red Sox last year when he played them. They have a lot of talent in that lineup, and that's why I wouldn't really want to blow things up, you know, too quick. But at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, you only get it for another half a season. You might as well keep them for that half and see if you can make a run. But uh, considering where they're at right now, I think they still run with it. But like you said, if it's an eight-game losing streak, six-game losing streak, right before the deadline, there's a chance they bite, especially if they get a big return, if they get a one Soto return type of deal. I mean, there's a chance. Always a chance. That's I mean, but and with a guy like Marty Marino, who's um, kind of insane, and you know, there was always a chance of of doing something crazy. Definitely, and Marino, a guy that was going to sell the team last year, and ended up you know revoking that, and, and now is going to stay with the team. But he's he's a guy that's too involved, obviously, with the front office decisions. So we'll see what happens there with the Angels. Uh, one last thing before we before I let you go, and obviously you're probably busy. You got things going on, especially considering the Sox play tonight. Uh, we'll talk UNC really quick. UNC football, UNC basketball. Which one would you rather talk about for just a minute or two? Football. It's almost football season. All right, let's talk football. So they're nine and five last year, obviously, and I know you're a big fan of the quarterback Drake May. Dirty eight touchdowns last year, seven picks, also adding in seven rushing touchdowns. That's a guy that's going to be a top draft pick, you know, at some point in the future. And you saw him play last year, right? At some point, you went to a game or two. Um, yeah, I went to the ACC championship game, which they got smoked. But yes, they did. Yeah, they lost to Clemson. Was it right? I remember yeah. going to that game, which is obviously a tough one. But uh, this is a team in the ACC where they competed last year, nine and five record last year overall, and a team like yeah, Clemson. Not, they were also nine and one to start. So they were. I, I forgot about the losing stretch. Yeah, I remember they were nine and five. I, I, I forgot they were that hard to start the year. I know, yeah. I know they obviously lost their bowl game. I think it was to what Oregon, right? Um, which is obviously tough. I think that was a close game. If I remember right? I don't think that was a blowout. Yeah. Um, but this is a team that could definitely compete in the ACC, especially if you're the quarterback. I mean, that's, that's the NFL. It's, it's football in general. If you have a quarterback, you can compete in any conference, any division. Uh, so where do you see this UNC team going this year? Do you think they can get back to the ACC championship again, which I think they can, but where do you see them going? It's always a yeah, challenge, as you said, the quarterbacks, I think, the, a big piece of the puzzle, and they have a Heisman candidate. And so that's something that, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that uh, is, is very uh, – Important, you know, he's the guy that's going to lead the team. And there's a lot of new pieces. Josh Downs, the number one receiver, the last couple of years awesome. is gone. So, um, you know, they have a couple of transfers coming in um, from Kent State and, and Georgia Tech. A couple of guys who are really um, pretty mm-hmm. good. So, um, yeah, I think that obviously the offense will look a little different. The defense is always the problem for them. You know, I always say you, me, and nine other guys could go down <laughs> and score on them. So, each of just going to figure that out. Um, You're right, uh, but. You know, they have a tough schedule. They play Spencer Rattler in South Carolina week one. They play Clemson at Clemson late. So, yep. you know, they got to step up and win some big games. I mean, it's, you know, the Mac Brown era has been pretty good. They've been interesting and relevant. And they've, you know, they made an Orange Bowl. They were a top 10 preseason team. And then last year they were, you know, uh, pretty good again down the stretch. But um, I feel like there's another step to take. And uh, we'll see if that can happen this year. Definitely. I mean, this is an ACC that's obviously competitive, but there's only really two top Three really top-heavy teams. You look at Florida State, that's a team that'll be top five going into the year. Clemson's always good recruiting-wise, even though they had somewhat of a down year the last year or two, but they'll be just as good again, I'm sure. Uh, obviously getting a new mm-hmm. quarterback in there. And then uh, a team like UNC, I think they're right there with those two. I think Florida State's probably the, obviously the leading candidate there in the ACC, considering they have their quarterback coming back and have probably the best edge rusher in football as well uh, in college football coming back as well. So we'll see what happens there. Hopefully UNC turns things around uh, You know, historically as a team. They've been somewhat, you know, respectable over the last five years, right? The Sam Holidays were really good. Uh, and at one point, they were ranked, I think, top 10 at that point, right, when they played BC. I think it was during that COVID year, 2020. I know you wanted to go to that game. Uh, I remember you saying that. I think they played BC at BC, right? Like, yeah. 2020, was it? Uh, but they were top 10 mm-hmm. there. 
And hopefully they, you know, turn the, you know, flip the switch on being competitive and, and start to win those big games. Even though they've been competitive, 95 record's really good. Like you said, this year they're going to have some big games, whether it's against even Clemson, South Carolina, week one will be a test. If they can win more of those big, big games, they'll, they'll, they'll get even more, you know, of a name for themselves in college football. But I'm um, rooting for them for your sake. And obviously you're a big UNC basketball guy. And that was another team that was, was ranked pretty high going into the year. And, Things just didn't work out there for them. But uh, what, are you, what are your expectations for them? I'll only take another minute of your time here. But what are your expectations, expectations of them heading into this year? Obviously, they have Armando Bancock, uh, Bancock coming back and Arjun Davis back as well. They lost Caleb Love, which I think you're a fan of that move, if I remember right. Uh, but where do you see that UNC basketball team going? I mean, it's a team that uh, is, has a lot of change. I mean, they've, they've uh, had, you know, they had seven or eight kids transfer out. Caleb Love going to Arizona. Um, yep. and then, you know, a couple of uh, more bit pieces, um, and DeMarco Dunn and yep. Dontress Styles, Puff Johnson, some of those guys leaving. So none of those, I think, are, you know, massive, massive losses. Um, just because I think Love had kind of overstated welcome and stuff. Uh, I think obviously when you have a core of Baycott and RJ Davis, two guys who have, Seen it all at this point. That's pretty good. They had a freshman, you know, top ten, five star, Saw that. reclassify uh, Elliot Cadeau the other day. So, mm-hmm. you know, add that to Cormac Ryan from Notre Dame and Jalen Withers from Louisville uh, and Harrison Ingram. I think he's going to be really good from Stanford. Maybe some other guys step up. Jalen Washington, Seth Trimble. Um, you know, they, they're, they're going to have you know, the talent. I think, and, and they just needed a more cohesive roster that worked together. Obviously, last year we saw. You know, the whole Love and Davis thing did not really work out together on yeah. the board, and Baycott was frustrated not getting enough touches. So, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to have talent. I mean, it's almost, um, you know, in a positionless game, it's it's tough to, to have all those pieces not fit together. And I think they tried to build a more functional roster this year, and so we'll see where it goes. Definitely. I'm excited to see when the, when the schedule comes out as well. Uh, they'll be playing BC. I know they played BC last year. It was at UNC, so I'd imagine. And they played them, they play yeah. them at BC as well, did they? It was uh, – No. No, it was two year. years ago at BC, I think, when they played them on uh, yeah. New Year's, I believe, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, about 35 at halftime. Yeah. I mean, hey, they beat BC pretty good in the ACC tournament this year, didn't they? Even with it being you know, a tougher season for them, I think they beat them by 25, if I remember right. I remember I was mm-hmm. texting before that game, which uh, was obviously a tough one for the Eagles. But, hey, technically, as you, as you said, I mean, you, you're a BC fan now. It's UNC first, but you're BC fan second. Uh, you know, being an instructor there as well. Uh, professor, in my eyes. Yeah, but, when, when they're playing Duke, yeah. When they're playing Duke, I know you're not a big Duke guy, so that's why you're not a big Daniel Jones guy, which which I remember, right? Uh, but, hey, you know I'm a big DJ guy. I think he's going to have a big season this year. But uh, my Clipper prediction didn't really work out. So, uh, you know, win the NBA Finals this year. So at least my Daniel Jones takes, you know, have worked out. But I remember in your class, my hot take was either going to be Daniel Jones, the top eight quarterback in the league, or the Clippers going to win the NBA Finals. And obviously the Clippers uh, – didn't really work out. Didn't even didn't didn't even win a series, unfortunately. But that's basketball for you. That's sports. But uh, like you said, though, with UNC basketball, a lot of those guys coming big, big transfers, and you get your two best players coming back. Even though Love was the leading scorer last year at seventeen a game, just about Baycott averaging sixteen, Davis averaging sixteen. You get those two guys back, and then obviously add a lot of those guys. You know, in, in, in the transfer portal, they're gonna have a lot of juice in that lineup, a lot of scoring potential, and hopefully uh, make a run in the ACC tournament. I know you'll be watching no matter what, whether they're you know a top five team in the country or, or they're having a tougher season like they did this year. And considering they were twenty thirteen this year, that's a tough season. That just shows how good a program they have. 2013 and missing the tournament. Well, they were also the number one team in the country heading in and didn't make the tournament. So I wouldn't that's characterize it as a success. It wasn't a success. But, you know, a season that's 2013 being, you know, a, a really bad season, that's impressive on its own. I mean, 2013 to BC would be, you know, their best season. You know what I mean? So, uh, right. but a team that was number one with, you know, Brady Manick and all those guys coming back with the expectations to win it all. Obviously, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a failure in, the, in that regard. But... They still have a lot to build on. Hopefully, you know, get themselves back on track. And I'm sure you'll be at the game this year at BC no matter what happens. Absolutely. It's right, right down the road. Going to make it happen. Why not? Anyways, Chris, don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Truly is a pleasure having you come on here and talk all things sports. Hopefully, I'll have you back on here again soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate Thank you it. so much, Chris. Have a good one. Take it easy. You too. So there you have it. It was Chris Cotillo of MassLive.com. Much appreciated uh, for him taking the time here to come on here and talk whether it was the Red Sox, whether it's college football, whether it's college basketball, always a pleasure being able to talk sports with him in general. He knows it all. I definitely wouldn't be in this position right now if it were not for him and his sports journalism workshop on Zoom. I did that a couple summers ago now in July of 2021. Learned a lot. Everything I know now, whether it's how to form an episode, you know, form topics for an episode or how to edit things or how to even write, uh, you know, sports journalism-wise, 
I've learned everything I, I know, you know, whether it's writing wise or, you know, having a podcast and radio show wise uh, from him. Learned a lot through his class, whether it was on Zoom, the sports workshop, or it was the covering sports in the digital age class that I took this past year at BC last fall uh, during my senior year. Learned a lot from him. So thank you so much, Chris. And if ever, anyone's interested in sports journalism, He's a great guy to talk to. You should take his journalism workshop, as I said, on Zoom. Check out his Twitter, and he does have a good amount of classes every now and then. Does a few of them every summer. So uh, definitely check it out uh, on his Twitter if you guys are interested in that. But anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I'll definitely have another episode or two in the day, in the next day or so, uh, to talk about the College World Series. The Super Regionals have already uh, been figured out. The regionals uh, regional round is over, and... Even though my predictions on the right side didn't go too well, on the left side, you have LSU still alive. But my Vanderbilt and NC State predictions going to the Final Four in the College World Series didn't really work out. But that's that's sports predictions for you. That's hot takes. Uh, you know, that's how it goes, especially with sports radio and sports podcasting. You need to have hot takes. You can't just always say it's going to be, you know, the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl or LSU winning the finals. Uh had a hot take in there, you know, having NC State in the Final Four. And obviously that didn't go my way. But, you know, that's sports for you. Anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. Once again, thank you so much to Chris Cotillo of MassLive.com for coming on here. Check out all of his articles online. Check out his Fenway Rundown podcast as well on Spotify. Check out his articles on MassLive.com. And make sure to give him a follow on Twitter at Chris Cotillo uh, on Twitter. And check out his sports journalism workshop as well. Uh, as I said, that was a great way for me to learn everything I know now in the industry. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys have a good one. Take it easy. Stay safe and stay well.